Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. Given that you're head of culture and trends at YouTube and you know everything, what would your best advice be? If you were to say to yourself today, okay, I want to build a YouTube subscriber base, how would you go about starting that now? I was talking with someone who is um, a celebrity in, he's a comedian in the Middle East. I was saying, you got to get on YouTube. And he's like, Oh yeah, like I'm trying to, you know, get a crew and like kind of figure out what we're gonna. I was like, no, man, just like you're very funny, you're a very personable person, just start making stuff, you know. This is the thing that is my first advice to everyone is you gotta start making something, right? And like it doesn't don't just don't pay attention to how many people are looking at like don't be precious about everything immediately. Especially at the outset when you're trying to like establish what your voice is, you're trying to establish what your perspective is, if you have a format or a show type that you're developing. These things need to be incubated in a way. But at the end of the day, like if you don't care enough about the thing that you're making, that you want to live it, breathe it, be obsessed with it all the time, it's a really hard life to try to be successful at it, especially online. I feel like my guest today is at the center of the universe. <laughs> Kevin Alaka, your head of culture and trends at YouTube which basically means you have the coolest job in the world. Like you just watch like YouTube videos all day long. Yeah, that's all I do all day. And, and you kind of figure out why, which ones become the most popular and which ones sort of, I mean, so, okay, we're here basically discussing your book about this videocracy, how YouTube is changing the world with double rainbows, singing foxes, and other trends we can't stop watching. By the way, the singing foxes one, yeah. um, the Elvis, yeah. you know, what does the fox say? There was also, um, what's the meaning of Stonehenge, which they followed up right mm -hmm. afterwards, which was I thought was brilliant. Yeah. But I remember it was my, I remember it was right after Gangnam Style came out and I asked my kids, what else? What should I watch next? And they pointed me out to the Elvis, yeah. and the, what does the fox say? And then I found the Stonehenge one. But like, there was this, I feel like there was this golden age I mean, there's a lot of directions we could go. Totally, but totally. I feel like there was this golden age of viral videos right around Gangnam Style, mm -hmm. which was like all of these like amazing, you know, it, it's all the things you say in your in your TED Talk from 2011. Like mm -hmm. it had, you know, participation. It had kind of, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, the, the, the people who, the trendsetters. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what was the third thing? Unexpectedness. It was unexpected. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I do think, and th that's an interesting time in the sort of timeline of, of sort of video and social media and how we use it because we had this 
period before that where there was a lot of like amateur viral videos that were coming, you know, David after dentist, Charlie bit my finger, those kind of like home movies that became viral videos. But then we started moving into this phase. We had a lot of people who were creating things professionally that were getting spread. And the two things you just mentioned are they were both mass media producers. I mean, Sai was a pretty popular K-pop oh, artist. Yeah, and yeah. And, Ilvis had a TV show in Norway. You and, know? and actually, I don't know if you ever saw, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this video, but you ever see the video of the making of Gagnum Style? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it looked to me like literally every second he planned to be outrageous. Totally. And it just worked. Totally. But I don't think, he, I mean, and he he says this in many interviews, like I don't think he expected it to become the phenomenon that it became because those kinds of things weren't really possible previously. And so you have like, the thing that was interesting about that moment is there's a, a huge amount of people who had just figured out how to use social media, how to use the internet. They were like, you had so many people online, especially in the United States and other big markets, other big, you know, sort of developed nations at that point, um, were using the internet as sort of a primary way of getting entertainment, of communicating with each other. And so that just like the time was right for those big sort of videos that were a little bit more professional to be able to make a big dent culturally. You know? Yeah, because I feel like, the, let's say the, and we're going to cover a lot of topics. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, I, uh, eventually, I want to get into the topic, which you discuss in this. That it's, and of course, the obvious answer is not easy of how one should think about making yeah. videos if you want them to be popular, and also kind of the direction of YouTube now, where it's a lot more, I think, niche focused mm -hmm. and channel focused, and a little bit more about um, being subscriber focused rather than yeah. like, here's a video, let's hope it totally. Pops. So, but there's a lot of things to talk about, and, mm -hmm. and and a lot of it will be useful to people interested in this. But I just want to show you something. Yeah. I was obsessed with. What makes videos viral? Okay. So this, no one, no one has seen this. I like okay. started a blog in two thousand eight. <laughs> it has nothing to do with my blog. Okay. No one ever read this blog, but like you can see, two thousand eight. It's like on Blogspot. Oh and, my god! And it's just my favorite viral videos. And I was analyzing everything. Like there was the Star Wars kid. There was Chocolate Ray. With, yeah, uh, yeah. Rain with Tavon Day. There was um, I'm trying to think. Which, I only did it a few times because no one was like interested. Uh, uh, here's the look at this. One. This is the precursor to my book right here. Yeah, yeah, because I do go into the fact that the participation, like, I don't know if you remember the guitar one where it's the kid with the hat over his head, oh, 450 yeah. million views. Um, but then there was all the copies of that mm -hmm. and, and participation. And there's all the stuff on Canon Rock and Pop yeah. Canon. Mm -hmm. And um, similarly with Chocolate Rain, there's Darth Vader doing Chocolate Rain. It was all the elements you describe mm -hmm. in this book that there was some. Trendsetter said, this is good. Somebody did an unexpectedly great mm -hmm. video. Some trendsetter said, this is good. And then there was participation, meaning someone made, other people made spoofs and riffs on the original video, which were all characteristics. But but I feel like in 2008, prior to um, a lot of the generation that, I, I call them generation, but a lot of the videos you talk about, there was a prior generation of totally amateur videos yeah. that really were, like nobody knew what viral video meant, and these things just boom. Like Chocolate Rain by Tavon, he was totally unexpected because of his voice. Yeah. And then there was all these spoofs. Totally. And it was, and it was good. So people, and, singers loved it. Totally. And it felt like at that point that those were like, those things were massive, that everybody saw them. But if you go back and look at the view counts on those things, you'd be surprised how low they are compared to like the things that we see now, you know, the four billion views Despacito has or whatever, you know, like this sort of, they, they, but because there were fewer people at that time who were really obsessed with this stuff, or it seemed that way at least, the volume was lower, but the, the sort of saturation was much higher. Yeah, no, I, and I feel like everybody was still talking about them. Totally. Like Tavon, they would show up on Ellen DeGeneres the totally. next day. We used because, to call it the cubicle circuit, you know, where people, you'd be at work and everybody would be passing around things during the day during their lunch break. Because a lot of the stuff was desktop focused at the time too. That's another thing. Like the 
the fact that we're all on phones constantly sharing and using that's you know one of the primary ways that we connect with video, connect with social media now has also changed the way that we you know the things that we watch, the way they get passed around. You think you think that's why it's more like let's take Despacito as an yeah. example. So that got like I don't know between that and all of its spoofs and riffs and mm-hmm. all these other kind of things, maybe six seven billion views altogether. Yeah. I mean the main video is still around five billion views yeah. I think, but um, and then Justin. Justin Bieber was so Despacito. Uh, by the way, Erica Ender, who wrote the song, yeah, been on the I know, I saw it. That was awesome. So and and I I don't know if she won the Grammy mm-hmm. or she, I know she got nominated yeah, for Grammy. The Grammys it, yeah. were just yesterday, so yeah. I don't know if she Bruno, won. It. Bruno, I think uh, oh. Bruno Mars took took home a lot of the the ones that I would have hoped for Despacito. But yeah, but like I was showing someone Despacito the other day who what couldn't remember what it was. Yeah, and like it does kind of just stay in the head. Like it's a good yeah, it's a totally. Good song. This is a actually this is a, 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 and I should maybe. I can't. Use, I won't be using it anymore. But this was a interview question I used to ask people when I was like, in the, like la- last year when I was hiring people, because it was an interesting question of like, okay, tell me why you think that song was such a big thing? Because it's like it is. A, there's a lot of. I, I think it's. There's a lot of hypotheses, and I have my theories about why it was. Besides the fact that it's a, a sort of very catchy, well-written song, which is a, a, like the sort of basis I think for everything. But you know, there's we're we're entering this this moment where there's so many factors that actually can contribute to things that are popular. Geography, you know, the fact that Latin America is growing, you know, on their online usage like crazy, and um, and there's just a lot of these different but you reasons. Know, you know, you know the numbers though. Were what did that? I mean, like you say, there 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 there's lots of great songs uploaded to YouTube yeah, yeah. every day, um, and that one was is as much as I like the writing and Erica Ender and and I think it's a great song. I mean, there's a lot of songs just as good out yeah. there. But uh, do you think it was Justin Bieber's blessing on it? Like the fact that he then sang over it that kind of catapulted it to the top? That's part of it. So here's here's my sort of short answer to this question, like to the question of why Despacito. One, Latin music had already been kind of on the rise for a little while, I think in the United States and, and other parts of the world. Um, and you had uh, a large population in uh, in around Latin America where that was the primary sort of type of music they were listening to. Reggaeton had already been huge for a number of years. Daddy Yankee had a pretty big following. Luis Fonsi, not a huge, huge following at that point when the song comes out. But the song comes out and everybody who's already into that style of music is listening to it. So that brings a pretty quick saturation to a pretty big you know market. And then you have... Uh, then you have Justin Bieber, who expands the reach of that thing, right, to, to more people because of his sort of footprint around the world. He's a global name, right? And right. I think that I was feel somewhat like any calculated. Any song that he blesses is going to go. Yeah, somewhat totally. Viral. I mean, Carly Rae Jepsen. That was part of how she kind of uh, you know blew up with uh, "Call Me Maybe" back in the day. So, th- like, there's certainly, but that doesn't account for the billion, you know, billions of views that come after. Whereas necessarily, I think at a certain point, these things can reach a critical mass where. It's such a part, an earworm song that it's it's it becomes something that people want to make their own versions of. I've seen it in every possible language. Even Louis Fonzi released a Chinese version this week, you know, like which is it's. I was in Germany. It was the number one song in Germany during Oktoberfest on YouTube, which is like a Puerto Rican reggaeton song. Like it's so bizarre, you know. But it, these things have this uh, this ability now to spread to places they wouldn't have in the past. And now, you know, it was the number one song in fifty countries on YouTube last year. You know, fifty countries. So it's not we're not just talking about Latin America. We're talking about all around the world, which is pretty wild. Do you think? Do you think there's any? Let's say let's say we had we were able to write any kind of software we wanted. You think there's any algorithm that could have predicted on day two that Despacito was going to have 5 billion views? No. It's, I just Like even I, if you take every factor, like here's the rise in Latin American population on YouTube, here's the rise of this music, here's uh, something about the cores, like you, you take as many variables as you want. I don't know, you know, 
It's hard to say. I, part of me want like- Very simple song. Totally. I think there, was, there are a number of facts. I feel like that algorithm would be right that time or that, that sort of computer would be right that time and be wrong 10 more times. You know, right. just like there is a certain, a certain point where we, cult, like, where masses of people take something to the next level. And I don't think that that can always be predicted because it's a lot of small interactions that can sometimes create that, you know? Why, you know, one thing I notice is, and why don't you mention in the book, I don't think you mentioned in the book, uh, what I thought was the very first viral video on YouTube, which is Lazy Sunday. Um, well, I mean, it's sort of a complicated history, that video, I, I suppose. And by the way, that was Andy Samberg, yep. doing a digital short for SNL. That was his way to break out on the SNL mm-hmm. staff. But at the same time, he, uploaded, he did it on SNL and then uploaded it to YouTube, and, and it was the first YouTube video to hit 100 million views. Totally. It was actually one, it was an important video to me personally as well, because I, at the time, wanted to be, I wanted to work in comedy. That's what I wanted to do when I was in college, you know, and like wanted to be in entertainment. And I think like at that point, it was just like, oh, you have to know somebody in LA, get on a writing staff, be a writing assistant, you know, you have to, you know, work the comedy clubs in New York, get on SNL. Like that's how you do it, you know? And then all of a sudden, you had, these guys who were doing something that we could have done, you know, in our dorm if we wanted to, and they created something that was the people really loved, and it catapulted them to some success. Did you get a little and jealous? Of course. I mean, everybody's jealous when you see. Like, there's a little bit, I think, in a lot of people who, when you're ambitious in that way, where you're like, "Man, I, I could have done that. I, oh, you know, why didn't I think of that?" But at the same time, you know, he, he's he's incredibly. There's a real skill to it too. As much as amateur as amateurish as that stuff looks, I think there's a real talent to making something that's short and punchy and works in a way that people want to immediately share it with someone else that transcends sort of well, just Well, the, describe that one specifically. So, the you know, tuna. the, uh, the you mean the, the Lazy Sunday? Oh, yeah. So, you know, there was a, <laughs> they're going to love this. The, uh, I you know, I had friends in college who made a video in their dorm room about like, um, you know, tuna. They basically replaced alcohol with tuna and it was like underage tuna eating or something, you know, and it was kind of a spoof of what it's like when you're, in college and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to sneak, you know, alcohol into your dorm or whatever. And they did it with tuna and it was sort of, you know, not the most brilliant premise, but it was something that everybody had shared in the dorm, like in, in, in our dorm, in our college. And then because YouTube had, didn't exist at the time, it was on, I think maybe got posted on college humor and then it spread to other college kids. So it was like, you could go to another college maybe and someone there might have, would have seen it or if they were in high school, maybe going to college, they could have seen it. And it, it just felt like, wow, they had like, they had created some new kind of magical thing that like people knew about, but you couldn't actually, but our parents and no one else kind of had any access to it in a way because it felt like it existed in this other subculture. And I, I didn't really, no one I think knew how to process what that meant at the time. But when we saw Lazy Sunday happen, we're like, oh, you, this can lead to that, you know? And so there was this idea of like, oh, that's what this is for. This is for us to get discovered and become, you know, talents. But I didn't think, I don't think any of us anticipated, oh, this is actually could be an end to itself, you know? Because Andy Samberg really did break out from Lazy totally. Sunday. Like yeah, that was his career. We've seen it now a number of times. There's a, there's a bunch of people who've been through SNL or other places that started on online and sort of cut their chops in that in that regard. You know? I mean, look at uh, Bo Burnham, mm-hmm. Miranda Sings. These were all they started on YouTube and then became huge touring comedy phenomenon. Yeah, totally. And so, I mean, there's a lot of them that where that their art and their craft doesn't necessarily translate to a big stage and or to the, the types of media that they get they get placed into. But I think there are some who have been able to, who are these incredibly talented people whose talents can extend into these, into these other areas. And they've been able to um, take sort of something that worked. They've been able to take the following and the sort of the, the I think the real um, feedback loop that you get online too, where it's like, you you, you know, 
when you make something, and you know, I talked to Zay Frank in there who works, at, who you know, created the video unit at BuzzFeed about how they do stuff. And it's like you, know, you have immediate feedback on everything you do. You're not creating a pilot, sending it to a room full of people who send notes back to you. It's like people, the audience is just you. They tell you right away whether they like it or not. You know, well, that could I, be really unforgiving. I thought that was fascinating because you, you basically mentioned how he says um, he doesn't give feedback even if like one of his employees yeah. makes a video and puts a. He doesn't give feedback until after it's been published on YouTube, which yeah. I think is great. Like, kind of get that just throw the baby in the pool and let it swim and then say, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? Mm -hmm. But you also mentioned something really interesting, which is that an employee, a new employee of his at BuzzFeed now will probably have their first million view video within three or four weeks mm -hmm. of starting. And what what's, so, so there must be at least some, even though you kind of say, and we've talked about already, that there's no real formula mm -hmm. to the, the massive viral success that, that could occur. There is some. There must be some formula now to one million views. Well, I mean, for for them, they have they've definitely cracked certain insights about how people respond to video and certain formats that work really well for them, and they don't always work. And he, but he you know, he talks about it. Uh, but he talked about it a bunch when we spoke. You know, this idea of identity can and like he he eschews narrative as a thing, which is kind of interesting and and maybe not something that everybody. It works for everyone, but for him, he's like narrative doesn't matter as much to us as moments, right? So we they create these things where they say, you know, we're going to create a series of moments like that, you know, and the the sort of distillation of this for BuzzFeed historically was like the listicle, you know, the list of things like the ten reasons being left-handed is great, you know, and it's like if you're left-handed, there's a likelihood that eight of those things or five of those things will resonate with you in some way, and that video will. And there's a lot of left-handed people in the world, you know, so they've been able to sort of crack some of these these formulas that seem to work. For them, and so what he was saying was basically, you know, we've got because of this rapid feedback model, because we have a production studio where we've got a number of different formats that have worked, and everybody can learn from each other. You can actually get pretty quickly in our system to being able to create a video that's really successful fast. But it also helps that they have a large following and they had built a large audience. I don't think that it's just as it's the same way for someone starting from scratch to in one month's time get a million view video. It happens. I'm sure it happens all. It, I know it happens all the time. But at the same time, like it's a lot harder when you have you don't have that infrastructure around you. And so let, let's say someone makes a video and they do like 50 videos, no reaction, and mm -hmm. then the 51st video, boom, they have 10 million views. Yeah. And it's somewhere now, and that 10 million sounds like a lot, but in today's world, it's somewhere between very good and mm -hmm. viral. Yeah. And what what happens to them? Like, did they just make a lot of money all of a sudden? Like, what's 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 who are the what do they do the next day? Yeah, well, I mean, they, they go back to their job. They, they it, it, yeah, I mean, certainly, I don't think that's a um, one one hit is not necessarily a quit your job sort of sort of moment. Um, I think that it's obviously how much money they make and you know where it's like there's a complicated list of things depending on how popular the channel already was and whether they what the monetization looks like, all that kind of stuff. But the the people who are quitting their jobs, the people who are who are who have dedicated their sort of free time to a craft or a, a sort of form of self-expression that that has been lucrative enough for them to be able to quit their jobs, usually are doing it with a audience that they've built over some amount of time and that they can sustain, right? Because you need to have know that the next week that 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 check will come in, you know, or that that audience will be there. And it's it's tough. It's a really hard thing to do. But you you know, a lot of the people that I spoke to for the book, they, the the moment when they could say, "Oh yeah, I quit my job." It was a huge thing for them, you know, and it was a, a a big moment. But it only came once they realized that they had they sort of enough of an audience that was showing up regularly for the stuff that they were making that it really worked for most of them. Right, like you mentioned. Um, well, 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 well. Uh, before I ask this question, let me just yeah. back up. 
10 million views, how much money would I make on one video? I, I actually, to be honest, I don't know. Like it, like it's, like, it's, um, it's like I, I don't work on any of them on, on any of that stuff. So like I have, it, I'm really not a good person to ask on, on that, uh, on sort of like how much money you make from a video. Cause it, there's like a, lot, a bunch of, a bunch of factors that go into it. So I don't want to like give the wrong number. All right. All right. So, yeah. but you do mention, um, the story of like Rebecca Black who did the Friday, uh, song. So that was viral. Mm -hmm. And, you were kind of pleasantly surprised to see that she sort of uh, she did it when she was fourteen, mm -hmm. got I don't know how many views, mm -hmm. hundred million, yeah, hundreds yeah. of millions, yeah. And um, I forgot who liked it. Did Justin Bieber like it? Oh yeah, Justin Bieber. He, yeah, it. he yeah. was one. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people. I think the Mystery Science Theater uh, guy was the first one who was like kind of made a joke about it. And Tosh Pointo, the their blog posted. About oh yeah, it, Tosh Pointo was the first person yeah. to mention it, right? And yeah, then yeah. and then some and then you get the participation. Somebody yeah. did a Monday song, a mm -hmm. Tuesday song. Yeah, it? totally. And um. But then she evolved in much the same way YouTube evolved, which is mm -hmm. that rather than just being a one-hit wonder or one-hit viral sensation, she cultivated her channel and her subscriber base and Rebecca, mm -hmm. and is now a you know can now sustain herself with a million plus subscribers. Totally, and I think most people, a lot of people, are surprised by this with her in particular because that song is being remembered as something that people didn't like. Like that was sort of the thing at the time was like people would the people making fun of the song or talking about how bad it was, was part of what propelled it. It was like kind of a communal sort of discussion about disliking something, which why, is why like- Why do you think that didn't phase her that much? Because you just said, you, you met her a few weeks later yeah. and you said it didn't really seem to phase her. I didn't think the song was that bad actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it has now, it's like, it's like sort of translated into this thing where it's like, just like, Kind of a nostalgic sort of like nostalgia. I don't know if nostalgia is the right word, but it's sort of this memory of like a funny thing where you were joking around with your friends and like that's kind of what people associated with. But at the time, it was a lot of like, oh my god, this girl who does she think she is making this music video? Like, and I, I, no one knew the context or anything. And I think the internet was in a slightly different place at that point. Um, but you know, I, I think that she is a kind of she was very surprising to me. I don't know, like I don't know that many fourteen-year-old girls who could take a sort of Barrage yeah, of barrage hate. of hate and anger, and people just telling you you're bad and you're terrible, and the thing you wanted to do since you were like, you know, born or whatever, since you can remember, is you're never going to do it, and then just go back to high school and be cool with it. Like, I don't know how you could possibly do that, but somehow she kind of rolled with it in a way that I still don't totally comprehend. And um, I think that because she did, that actually like a lot of teenagers, especially, kind of saw that and identified with it in a way of like, you know, obviously, very few people have. Have experienced a bullying at that like scale, you know, yeah. or a kind of a, a sort of a level of negativity at that scale. But everybody experiences it, especially at that age, and takes it hard, you know. And and I think a lot of people identified with her in that regard. Oh, that's interesting. So you think she built a big fan base among the people who related to her on the bullying side? I think so. I mean, it's hard to say why people, you know. I haven't talked to anybody, you know, any of her fans, but it's something that I've seen, I've heard, heard before um, from people who've kind of studied her and, and what she what she does. So, like, I do, I think, I think it stands to reason that there's like a, especially in that moment in time, like there's a, a something admirable about someone who's been through that, or something that at least you want to understand more about that person, or there's some you want to hear that person's story, and that's kind of what subscribing to a channel really is, you know. Yeah, and, and again, like right now, it seems more channel focused than viral video focus. Yeah, like if totally. I'm a brand or if I'm an individual who wants mm -hmm. to produce YouTube videos and make a name for myself, I have to think in terms of channel rather than, okay, I'm going to make this one video that's going to be funny and Justin Bieber is going to tweet it and, yeah. and it's going to have a 200 million views. I mean, that happens, but that was always 
the exception. You know, like there was, I think we we became enticed by the romance of this new idea at that at that point. All of us, you know, I think who are interested in this stuff, you with your blog, you know, me with my fascinations at the time. And I think this idea of like, wow, these are things that don't make sense anywhere else. They're like weird and or unexpected or they're they're they connect they like make us they're being they're being made popular by our conversations with each other. There's like a very new concept in media history really in terms of the the spread and scale and speed in which that could happen. And I think there's there's this idea of wow, it could ha- like this lot winning the lottery kind of idea. It's like oh, that could happen to me. Like yeah, I, a, I could make a video. Type of feeling. And when I started at YouTube, like within a couple of years, everybody, every neighbor I'd ever had was like, oh, I filmed a video of my dog today, and it's going to be huge. And you're like, okay, like I don't know if that's really going to happen, you know. But there was this kind of romance to it. But now, especially, and there's definitely videos that kind of go viral. But I think everybody's kind of come around on the idea of like that's. Not really the most effective way, actually, to build a you know a sustainable job or career, or, you know, to to make money. The way that people are are funding their their work is by building an audience through their subscribers or however their followers on different platforms and things, and then creating things that they're watching regularly. You know, and I think you know one my one feel the one thing that's changed the most, I would say, from when I gave that TED talk in two thousand eleven for at TED Youth to now. Is that at the time you kind of needed these tastemakers? You needed someone. You needed a blog, a TV show, someone who had a really big following to to sort of help spread something quickly. And, you know, in the case of the double rainbow video, it was uh, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, posting about it. But now it's actually people can build a pretty large scale audience themselves, and so then you have this network of people who is already there, ready to accelerate the spread of something. Or there are these different forums or different. You know, there's a lot more opportunities to. Build a network that can spread something fast than there was at that point where you needed someone who was usually getting mainstream buy-in in order to build that huge audience. Right. So, you know? so, so, so you still even back then there were there. I would say there was a combination of a luck factor, mm-hmm. but then still there was some somebody who blessed you to say to to kind of lift it up above. Like it might be a Tosh Zero was making uh, fun of you. It might be a Jimmy Kimmel. It might be a Justin Bieber. But someone was like. Yeah, using the hand of God to make this uh, YouTube video blossom, like Star Wars lightsaber kid mm-hmm. from way back, which is kind of like this epic, yeah, yeah. Uh, classic uh, uh, viral video. How did that one get? Like that's one where, like as opposed to um, a lot of things, there wasn't a, a it wasn't like Susan Boyle suddenly out of nowhere has the most amazing voice in the world, and so everything goes viral that she's in. This guy was just fooling around in his garage or basement or whatever with a Star Wars lightsaber, and it went viral. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, you know, I actually don't know the backstory on the on the Star Wars kid video, to be honest. But like another one, like the Numa Numa kid, which is a similar kind of thing. Like, okay. I sit in his bedroom, you know, and that was pre YouTube. Or, or Daniel you know? with the white vans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like even the pre social media ones, like there was they, a lot of them got posted on web forums that had really big followings, right? Or someone posted it to a large audience on a web forum, and then it would get passed around. It's not. I mean, there were there were definitely people who are not celebrities who were who are a part of that. And I think, but it was it was more it was very common for that to be the case at that point, where it was like someone who had a very large following, because you needed to in order to sort of get what people think of as viral, which is like everybody's talking about it and there's people reacting to it. It's like you need a lot of people to see something kind of quickly, for the most part. I mean, there's exceptions to all this stuff, but for the most part, you need that's what you need to have happen. And so the only way to do that at that point was to have latch on to someone who already had a big audience. Maybe that was a web forum. Maybe that was a newspaper. Maybe that was an individual person on Twitter or, you know, whoever. But I think now, like, and and that's I think 
the 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 changes that you see more and more of these like un, un unexpected networks of people who can accelerate something that that are getting built in different ways. And, and I think the unexpectedness is important too. Mm-hmm. So that when if 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 a, if a trendsetter just links to something that's I don't know a, a little boring, uh, totally people won't share it. Like well, you, you still need that thing where someone wants to show it to their friend. Like hey, you got to see this. Mm-hmm. So totally. I mean, and and that's like the hardest part for everybody to kind of comprehend when I talk to them about this stuff, right? It's like the because that can't be planned. It's by definition unexpected. Totally. It's like it's the craft of making something that that surprises people. Like that's art in a way for some. You know, that's it, it, it's a form of art. So I think that's a it's it's a, when you when people say they want to manufacture a viral video, it's like well, part of the manufacturing of the video is making something that people really respond to and that they're surprised by in some way or that they want to react to or whatever. And, and that's like that's a hard thing to do. That's not that's a lot easier. That's one of those classic easier said than done things. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. 
I've used ZipRecruiter, particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I just want to say thank you to everyone listening to this. I hope you enjoy what I've been doing. I don't ask for a lot, but please take a moment to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It will only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the podcast. And my goal is to share this great content with as many people as possible. To see the show notes, just head on over to jamesaltature.com slash podcast. While you are there, you can join my free insiders list to get notified when I post a new podcast. Once again, thanks so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. Let's say there's an easy way and there's a hard way. Yeah. So the easy way might be, let's say Gangnam Style appeared today yeah. and it, and Ellen loves it and mm-hmm. a bunch of people love it and Mariah Carey loves it and suddenly it has a billion views. Mm-hmm. Um, the easy way is to do a, a spoof on it mm-hmm. and that will get you 
5 million views. You know, there's, there's so many spoofs of all these. You could do a spoof of Despacito probably today and still get a million views. Um, but then the hard way is kind of coming up with that unexpected. Yeah. And I think maybe a more solid way people are building these kinds of businesses is, you know, building a platform, doing video after video where they establish some credibility with an audience. Like if you were to say to yourself today, okay, I want to build a YouTube subscriber base that's going to, the great thing is this is going to probably last forever. Like YouTube mm -hmm. probably is the the video, you know, the the kind of um, short form video channel of choice mm -hmm. for the planet right now. Mm -hmm. And if you add a million followers or 2 million followers, 5 million followers, you probably have the basis for a solid living for, for a long mm -hmm. time. So how would you go about starting that now? Given that you're the top of that and you know everything, what would your best advice be? You know, it's it's a. Uh, so I think I, so. I I was talking with someone who is um, a celebrity in. He's a comedian in um, in in the Middle East, right? And I was and he was. I was saying you got to get on YouTube, and he's like, oh yeah, like I'm trying to you know get a crew and like kind of figure out what we're gonna. I was like, no man, just like you're very funny, you're a very personable person. Just start making stuff, you know. And this is the thing that I think. Is uh is my first advice to everyone is like you got, you got to start making something right and like it doesn't don't just don't pay attention to how many people are looking at like don't be precious about everything immediately because the qual the quality of the video while it needs to be not blurry doesn't need to be Netflix 4K no not especially at the outset when you're trying to like establish what your voice is you're trying to establish what your perspective is if you have a format or a show you know type that you're developing like these things need to be sort of incubated in a way and I think that. You know, some I think there are there are series that start really pristine and look great right from the start. They're usually ones that are funded and have like kind of you know some sort of backing because they know they're going to be producing a certain number of episodes, which you can do. What, what do you mean you by know? series and episodes? Because uh, we haven't we haven't approached into yeah, that. you know. So I mean, I, when I when I say that, it's like there are people who on their YouTube channel will create a show, right? It's basically like, or maybe the the channel itself is like a show. You know, I think the the Fine Brothers who I interview in there with the React thing, it's like right. it's like they have a channel. Their most popular show is Kids React. You know, where it's like a format that they reproduce regularly. There's lots of quote unquote episodes, which is basically they put out some sort of regular or, or regular Casey Neistat nice with his video diaries every totally. day that he used to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like you have like there's a couple things like consistency is really important so you need to be like committed to doing something at a certain interval over and over again weekly monthly whatever it is weekly is usually kind of the strongest if you could do daily great but like most people really aren't built for that so you you know you start something weekly where it's just you can people can expect to be coming back to this thing over and over again you need something obviously that's going to be sustained and that you can that you're passionate about i think that's like you know the other the other thing is it's really easy to Say, oh, I think that people would like to watch this, but it's less important that people would like to watch it than it is that you would like to make it over and over again, you know. And I think the people who do That's succeed critically important. Yeah, I think in almost every activity, actually. Yeah. So you have to be make sure you're the one having fun, or else people are gonna. Why would people buy into what you're doing there? Totally. I mean, there's a shocking number of people that I spoke to in the process of of writing this book who said. You know, they made something because they found it interesting, and then they found out that other people are interested. In well, it, you, you know? writing this book, you were, if you had to just do a research project on viral videos, it probably wouldn't be as good a book. Like you were fascinated by 
Well, that's why you're the head of you know, all these things, but you were fascinated by this whole concept. Yeah, it was fun for you to write this book. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, oh, it was a blast. Um, and it's like, but that that idea is like kind of an inversion of how I thought about media my entire life, which is like you make something because you know there's an addressable audience to see that because it's going to cost a lot to distribute it to them. You know, that's like how media mass media worked for like the last century. And now you could just do the opposite, which is say I really I care about this a lot, so I'm going to put it out there and see if other people will come. There's obviously like. A lot of optimization and work that goes into, and you know, YouTube has a whole like creator toolkit thing. You should, you, you can read all the little tricks, your thumbnails and your titles and all that stuff that you, that you need to do. That's all the bells and whistles that make things fly. But at the end of the day, like if you don't care enough about the thing that you're making, that you want to live it, breathe it, be obsessed with it all the time, it's it's re- it's a really hard life to try to be successful at it, especially on on online. And this combined with the consistency, so you yeah. have to kind of like be have you know interesting and unique ideas. Uh, pretty pretty consistently all throughout. So yeah. what's so 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 there's kind of consistency. There's being really passionate about something that's probably a little bit different than what everybody else is passionate mm-hmm. about. And then what's next? What would well, you do? <laughs> well, I mean, what if, if I, you did a what if you did a video channel analyzing viral videos? That yeah, would be, you could do a series on that. Well, it's a competitive space. I will say. I feel like there's there's a lot of people who are really who are really great at that. I think at that point, like if you can start. Uh, collaborating with other people is another way that people grow their audiences pr- pretty effectively. So you find someone else who's passionate about this thing, you make a video with them, they make a video with you. Mm. You know, it's an effective way to grow audience online actually without you know buying ads and things. You can, of course, do that. That's another way to go to grow your audience if you want to spend the money to market your channel. There's lots of ways to market a channel, just like any kind of piece of media. Like you, when you created this podcast, you know, you had to get it out to an audience and build it over time. And you know, when I'm writing a book, I'm out here talking to you, trying to get people excited about it, you know, expanding the reach of that thing. So there's like basic marketing stuff that I think people so, need to be doing. So community. Mm-hmm. So you build a community of uh, with yourself and and hopefully some other popular YouTubers, you know, or or you grow with some YouTubers potentially in popularity and you appear on each other's videos and Boom. There's even YouTubers who like live in houses together, yeah. so they can all yeah. go participate in each other's videos. Totally. I mean, there's, and there's like this is what I would do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in in this process, I think the other thing is you have to sort of be paying attention to the community of people that's already coming to watch you. And you know, look, I would be, you know, and, and the number of I've worked on many projects for YouTube. We created a show called YouTube Nation a few years ago with DreamWorks Animation. You know, we we're out in LA and we we're creating a daily show about what's happening on YouTube, and we we're obsessed with the analytics. You got to look at like that's your that's your way of hearing the audience. You know. When I do talks, or if I'm like, you know, when I used to do sketch comedy back in the day, the laughter is how you know whether the joke works or not. But you know, you know, you don't get the laughter when you're playing when the video is going off online. The laughter you see is in the metrics on on analytics, and it's incredibly robust. You can actually see where people are turning off the video. You can see where they're coming from. You can see what countries they're in, and sort of using that all that information critically to. You have to have obviously a certain size of audience before that stuff matters, but. Actually, using that to adjust, make make tweaks, like just like you would, like if I were doing a stand up comedy bit, and I no one laughed at that joke, I won't use that joke again. You know, this is oh that oh, I lost audience when I sort of went into that topic. I'm not going to cover that topic again. Or this topic seems to do well, so we're going to try that again. And I think it takes time and heart and um and to to sort of persevere through through all of that. And even still, some people find that they're not able to to grab an audience because their their core thing maybe doesn't reach that many, you know, people or there or their, you know, the audience isn't it isn't resonating with them. But for others, you you know, that's how they do it. That's all that's the story of a lot of these big these these popular uh, YouTube creators and shows and channels that exist online is is having a concept that works and pivoting as the the audience pivots, you know. So 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 we talked about basically consistency, yep. passion, community, analytics. Yep. 
what would you do next? Um, let's see. Okay, so now I'm, I'm I've got a community that I'm working with, and I've and I've got an I've got the analytics, and I'm and I'm I'm also paying attention to my audience in a very direct way, right? Which just goes back to the community thing, which is like actually responding when they're leaving comments and sort of you know having an engaged following that I'm engaging with, you know, that goes beyond the video. I think that's another thing that especially people who think about media in a traditional context think about where like the content exists within the player itself. But the experience that we have with entertainment now goes way beyond the actual video screen, right? Because right, people the comments, want goes, almost like communication with the creator. Totally. They don't want to just watch, you know, oh, I'm in my living room and there's the TV show on. They, it's like they want to be in the TV show somehow. Yeah, yeah, or, totally. Or the character from the TV show to be in their living room. Yeah, totally. And I think especially online where there's a lot of nonfiction stuff that's being created where these are real people, you know, and and... It has a lot of parallels, frankly, to to nonfiction writing, where it's like, yeah, you wanna you wanna spend this time with this person here, but then you also want to hear their thoughts about other things, or you wanna sort of ask, be able to ask them questions and and engage in a, in a a more in a deeper way than than just with the thing that you're watching necessarily, right? It's some percentage of the audience, it won't be everybody, but these are gonna be your super fans. These are the ones who are gonna come back, who are gonna tell their friends about it, and you gotta pay attention to them, right? Because that's your those are the people that that really matter because they're the ones that are coming back all the time, right? The more of those you have, the more likelihood of success you have, you know? And so I think, and that kind of goes into the community idea, but, you know, it's like community is, exists as both marketing and an extension of the actual experience that you're creating with 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 the content. And, um, you know, when you look at, like, I'll give you an example from the book, like the ASAP science guys who do those incredible kind of explainers of science stuff. I follow them on Twitter, you know, on social, on, on Instagram. They um, are two guys who, like, you never see in the videos, but at the same time, they exist as people and you can connect with them in all these different places. And that extends the impact of the work that they do. Um, and they have a format that works very successfully. They appear with other YouTube creators all the time, and you know they got millions of followers now from from sort of creating a format that works, spoke to their passions, which was being really into science, and resonated with people. And they don't just limit. The, it sounds like they don't just limit themselves to YouTube. Like you, they do stuff on Twitter, they do stuff yeah. on Instagram. So they're all, uh, on maybe YouTube might be their main home, yeah. but there's they're doing they're creating content for other platforms where there might be other audiences. Totally. And I mean, they also they talk about people who are really pay attention to what the audience responds to and doesn't. They you know, they had an insight early on which is like questions and presenting someone with a a, a really compelling question was a very effective strategy for them. So they started making more and more videos that spoke to these very compelling questions. What do you, you mean? Know? Like for example, if I said to you um if I said to you the science of vitamin D, right? That is uh, kind of boring as a thing. It's an important thing for us to understand and an important piece of information, but kind of boring. If I said to you, what if we never went outside again? That's actually, well, yeah, what would happen? Like That's an interesting idea and question to be presented to me. I want to know the answer to that. The solution to that question is in this video. You know? It's kind of like explains also the success of a set like Quora, which just yeah. keeps growing and based off, based off the fact that there's a lot of searches with what, why, where, when, yeah. but not that many pages that start with what, why, where, when. Yeah, and the interesting one of the interesting things about Quora is that I, my predominant Quora consumption now is like when they send those Me. emails and stuff. Yeah, but when they send those emails and they're like, someone's like, what, you know, what uh, is the largest lizard in the world? And it's like, yeah, what is the largest wizard, lizard yeah, in the you world? Kinda you kind of get know? addicted to, yeah, uh, you know. And you're if thoughtful people explaining these things, and but it's like the question being presented, and for them that was a very effective strategy for what they wanted to do, which was explain science in a fun way to people, you know. So, so, you know, I want to know how did you get this 
job is a pretty cool like you got the coolest job in the world what do what does somebody do to get your job it's a cool it's a cool gig i mean i kind of it was a strange confluence of events for me because when i started I, and my job has cha- changed my day-to-day has changed a bit over the years i've been there for seven over seven years so like you know things have changed a bit but when i started it was 2010 and i had been a journalist i was um, at a site called tv newser which is part of ad week now and I was covering the television news industry, and I had done worked for Huffington did, did, Post. Did Brian Stelter start that? Yes, indeed. Okay. Yeah, he was like my precursor there. Um, yeah, I remember. So I was not a very good reporter like Brian was. So like it was never my life. It was never going to be the thing for me in the long term. But I, it was a fascinating education, and I learned a lot about writing, and and I learned a lot about the business from from covering it. And YouTube at the time was trying to be legitimized a bit in the world because um, it was kind of seen as this place for random cat videos at that point, you know? And so we want they wanted to get sort of morning shows and news shows just talking more about YouTube. It's also like the era of, um, you know, some major, major news that was happening in the world that was being playing out through video, you know? So there was this idea of if we got news networks and, and sort of different journalists interested in how to use YouTube, we could legitimize the platform a bit more. And I got hired to actually help with that effort. And we created this thing called YouTube Trends, which was to help just explain the trends that were happening because the biggest hurdle we had was people were all interested in this stuff, but they just they didn't know where to find it, didn't understand what was happening. So we were like, that was how it started, was just how do I help people understand that? It turns out that actually is a lot of applications across a business and uh, you know across across YouTube. And so over time, you know, I took over all of our, I did handle all of our social media for a bit. I did, um, you know, I've worked on some of our big things like YouTube Rewind, which is kind of our big like um, mashup of the biggest trends that happen each year. And it's like gets a ton of views and we create a little list of the, we create a big list of the top trending videos of the year that gets disseminated for all the different countries in the world. And so now I think, you know, if I were, if I were coming in now, the, the, the thing that I guess we look for and we're looking for people to join, join the team is we look for people who are very passionate about video, who really understand the social dynamics that are happening, are not afraid to work with data because it's like, you know, Google's a data company and you're actually like, I think when you're dealing with the scale that we're dealing with, you know, you have to be able to combine sort of cultural insight with these data trends. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of, it's kind of a weird job. There's not a lot like it. It's, um, it's, it's, it's been fun and fascinating and interesting and challenging all at the same time. Eight years is a long time. I mean, yeah. um, just knowing my own personality, I think eight years would be too long. <laughs> but do you ever, like what I would consider is given your experience and the pedigree, because yeah. it's, a, it's a great kind of thing to say, you've did this for eight years yeah. and now you have the book, I would consider starting uh, an ad agency <laughs> or something to help brands make, uh, you know, build their own channels. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like, I've definitely thought about what would be the next thing in my life but the, the the thing that's so weird about it are is you like, saying that so that they offer you more no, money when you go into work tomorrow? no no they're, they're they're great to be there i love it there the thing the thing that's so the reason i've stuck around for so long to be honest besides the fact that i do like i do think working with smart people around hard problems is like a, a really a, i like i need a job that makes me excited i want to like tackle something every day you know when i come into work and i feel like i get that there but at the other at the same time youtube and culture changes constantly and like if you, if you think of YouTube as a reflection of that culture, what you're seeing is completely different. YouTube has reinvented itself like four times since I've been there. So I feel like I'm at like a different company. Like what's an example of reinvention? Well, we were talking before about just how viral videos have changed. You know, the yeah. idea of how channels have evolved. Now, you know, there's YouTube TV. That's like a whole other thing yeah, that so exists now. Yeah, so tell me about that. You know? so, so YouTube Red, 
That's yeah. like almost like a regular TV, like a like a like a Netflix or a Hulu. It's like a streaming. Well, TV you've got service. so you've got YouTube TV, which is like t- which is like a, a you know live streaming TV uh, app, which is a, a very cool um, ex- like UI around TV. And then you've got YouTube Red, which is a subscription service around where you get originals, you get ad free experience. It's like really good for music if you use a lot of music. So like that's like a whole that's sort of introducing a whole new. Uh, aspect to the ecosystem because you have original content that's you're paying for as part of a subscription, which is now also on YouTube. So, like the site is covering so many different things at the same time, it's hard to kind of get bored, you know? Yeah. So, so uh, I mean, now you you you've been there eight years. Mm-hmm. You've seen all these different incarnations, and really, the important question is: dogs, cats, or babies? <laughs> what's the most popular of the videos? Ah, uh, that's tough. So. Uh, dogs over cats. We we've kind of statistically proven that. Really? Uh, yeah. So like, it's kind of Man, bizarre. I've always watched cat videos. Of course, that I'm is a cat a, that's person. the trope for sure. Like, is like you know, cat videos are are the more popular. I think like there's a theory that cat videos are more viral, but I haven't been able to actually prove that. This is what you do. You're saying the dog videos have the better analytics. Just well, if you look at overall aggregate viewership, for sure. Um, and it's like if you think about YouTube as a global platform, or only you know. Uh, less than twenty percent of its views are in the United States. Like, it's you're actually looking at the taste of the world. Of many of those videos, you'll never see. You know, so cat videos are very popular, but dogs are are a little bit more so. At least that was the last thing that I saw. And we looked at it, you know, a year two ago. Um, babies. I don't. I've never done the comparison between the two, but I would say that babies actually might be slightly higher than both because it is truly a universal thing. Like, there's no culture that, that hates babies. You what know, if babies that are somehow tagged as humor. <laughs> the what, what, sorry, wait. What's the question? So, like, like, I, like, with if a, if a YouTube video has a baby that's intended to be funny, as mm-hmm. opposed to just, oh, here's my baby. Walking yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's a, a, a universally relatable thing. You like know, it's like a funny or die first video. Yeah, the uh, the landlord. Yeah, of yeah. course. Like, uh, you know, you see that it's like kind of a. It's that one is limited by the fact that it's in English. A lot of like, if you look at the like laughing baby or some of these other things, you know, Charlie bit my finger. Even is popular in like all over the world because you kind of don't need to understand the language to to appreciate it. Um, so I think that I when I look at the opportunity for things to become popular, I usually look at their um, sort of global uh, accessibility. And so babies, I think I would put at the top of that list. So, so let's let's talk for a second about this yeah. the sheer numbers because they're sort of amazing. Mm-hmm. Like when. When there's five billion views on Despacito, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. Like, how many people you think watch that? Like, how many unique individuals watch that? It's really hard to like, tell. I'm, I'm twenty or thirty of those views at least. Yeah, yeah. Like music videos. Like, there's certain kinds of videos where, and I'll see people say this all the time, where it's like, you know, X billion people have seen this. It's like, well, that's not really true. It's just it's been watched that many times. You know, music. Obviously, over-indexes on repeat listening because you can listen to a song over and over again. Whereas, like a comedy sketch, you might watch once, get the joke, and then you don't necessarily need right. to rewatch it. You know, um, and so there's certain content types that lend themselves to repeat viewing versus versus others. Um, and it's it's like they it's actually measuring unique people on the internet is a lot harder than I think it's it seems like it should be. Do our and, advertisers aware of that? So are advertisers more prone to um, value? Two million views of, let's say, a comedy sketch versus two million views of a song. I don't know that. Um, I actually don't know how that how that works. I know that, like, if you're an advertiser and you have an ad and you want to understand the unique reach, there's probably some way to sort of approximate that. But like for most videos online, it's just like really hard to know. Like, if just by looking at the view count, how many individual people have watched something. There's some things where you can say, well, okay, that's a video where you know I can't imagine that many people watched it over and over again. So it's got to be close to the sort of you know 
overall individual, you know, unique reach of something. Whereas other stuff like Desposito, it's really hard. So, so I've seen a, lot, uh, a couple examples. Uh, let's say Miranda Sings is one yeah. of them, where uh, you know they they start off with YouTube, but then it reaches in for her. She she became a touring performer yeah. and then a TV show and a book and so on. Um, and now we're seeing uh, YouTube Red, mm-hmm. where potentially I don't know how it works. Someone might pitch an idea, mm-hmm. or maybe they'll do a bunch of YouTube videos that are popular, and and so YouTube will see this and say, hey, let's make this a series. Yeah, and you act like a the YouTube Red acts like a television network mm-hmm. basically so where, where do you see what's going on there where do you see that heading yeah i mean um do they, have, do they become viral in the same way well it's it's because a lot of that stuff is there's a a high percentage of that stuff is actually part of the youtube red subscription which means it's limited by the people who are subscribers to it it's kind of like a it's it's hard for anything that it requires you know a subscription to go viral quote unquote and reach a huge yeah. critical mass of people just because like you have to have people who are all members of the same service and it's why like you know, a song going viral on Spotify is necessarily not necessarily as easy as you know another platform that is free, right? Because everybody accesses it or whatever. So, point being, like, I think that there are. Um, I think what YouTube Red is about, and I don't work on it, but like you know, from the people I know that are working on it, it's it's about saying, okay, there are these there are these um, there are these people who are creating really amazing things. Where if we uh, if we can fund it, we can actually allow them to be able to do things they wouldn't be able to do with the sort of the economics of what they're doing now, you know. And it presents an opportunity for, as a company, for us, for there to be a sort of batch of things that's worth sort of creating a subscription for, which you know enables like money to flow through. Yeah, exactly. Or like a Hulu. Yeah, it's like the subscription model has become sort of a, a very common sort of model. So, in, so the, in the idea is maybe to create not necessarily content that's going to have more views, like a cat video. But to create something semi meaningful, like a like a show that people then become binge watch or become addicted to in some other way, or that people or mean, like media. really want. Like mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's could, could, a, could, and, and, and let me just ask. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but like related to that, yeah. what's the difference between and, and this is related? Mm-hmm. You have some three minute video that gets a, a billion views versus like a Seinfeld. Or yeah. like a, a Stranger Things on Netflix, or you know, it seems like media co- consumption is getting a lot more granular than Seinfeld days because you have billions of YouTube videos that get millions of views, and then you have things like YouTube Red where it's still like, hey, we could pay for some meaningful content even if it's not going to be as po- uh, popular. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the you know, and I'm not a a, a business like. Uh, you know, it's not my my forte, right? So, like, I, you know, the the economics of entertainment is evolving rapidly, and I think you know, you've touched on something like the numbers that sitcoms used to get, like the Seinfeld finale and stuff. I don't know that we'll ever see that again, necessarily. Never, you know, for for some, for a for a fiction programming like that. I think that obviously sports and live events and things can get those kinds of numbers, so, you know, across these different mediums. But even then, it's like there's just so much content available to us now. But I, I do think that and, the, and I think that affects reading podcasts. Any one individual TV series, yeah. you know, and so on. I mean, it, and, and and it affects syndication because mm-hmm. uh, of of all these things. I mean, I think, like you said, the economics of entertainment is a hundred percent different than even ten years ago. Yeah, totally. And and so these subscription these subscription services enable a revenue path where people can create the higher production value stuff that really matters to people. Then, um, and but 
in an environment that enables it to be distributed. You know, I think and and makes it allows it to make sense for the people doing the making of things. So it's kind of like you need this. This I think it's a it's sort of another end of the spectrum of stuff. You know, an extension of the spectrum, if you will, of what is can be possible in video um, by enabling these other ways for people to make money, other ways for, for content to get funded. Um, you know, like I'll give you an example of like there's a r- original uh, red show about um, from Vsauce called Minefield, which is like a science based thing. And I watch Vsauce all the time, and like they, you know, Michael Stevens like makes these videos where he's just you know exploring interesting concepts that he thinks are interesting. A lot of them are in front of a green screen. Minefield, he gets to go down to, you know. Um, the jungle to like understand this very specific drug that affects your brain, you know, in a certain way that from a shaman somewhere, you know, and like that's a kind of thing where like it's expensive to produce that to go down there, but when you have when you can fund it in advance, it allows for that to be possible. So I think you know it's not like even TV is getting less compelling at this point, you know, but just the ways that we're accessing it are changing. Yeah, because now there's hundreds of channels, yeah, and there's Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, which essentially can buy infinite number of shows. I mean, yeah, I think. Amazon's spending ten billion on original content, and Netflix is spending eleven billion on original yeah. content, and probably Hulu has some number, and YouTube Red has some number, mm-hmm. and then you have all this. You know how many how many hours of content are being uploaded every minute now on YouTube? Over four hundred hours. Four hundred hours every minute is being uploaded to YouTube. Yeah. So and there's hundreds of there's two hundred fifty thousand podcasts. <laughs> I don't know who even reads books anymore. <laughs> like I think the number we talked about this, I believe, right before the podcast mm-hmm. started. No, there's no. It's hard to be a breakout bestseller mm-hmm. now on writing, and so I think it changes uh, career choices. Like, if somebody has something meaningful to say, should they be a writer or should they create a YouTube channel or should they try to get on a TV show or wh- what do you think they should do? Well, I think I I I think the fact that we can. I think that investing in platforms that allow you to build an audience that you can take with you, and mm. things like newsletters and and things like um, and things like YouTube, where you're you're building subscribers or followers, different places, becomes really important. Because I do think I don't I don't know that if you if you are a person who simply just has a, something they want to say or has a passion about something, you can choose the medium that is most effective for distributing that, or the medium that is most um, most optimized for the kind of expression that you have. Um, but you could also train yourself for the medium that works best. I think YouTube being what it's basically the second largest search engine after yeah, Google, yeah, mm-hmm. which owns YouTube. Yeah, uh, it might be you have to train yourself to be good at YouTube. Yeah, I mean certainly. If I you're think a writer, like, you should be a YouTuber. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, and I think you see a lot of the when you look at the, the lot like the number of YouTubers who have best-selling books. I think speaks to that in a certain regard, which is like you have this. Like people who have huge followings on Twitter, who have like major audiences on YouTube, are able to say, "Hey, I've got I've got something that I've taken into this other medium. You should check it out." And it's, it's, the audience cares; they really care about what what's made. And you have like so many YouTubers that YouTube creators who have best selling books the first week because they have this massive audience that is excited about what they're making. You know? Yeah. So what are your what are your what are your favorite YouTube videos? Well, the video and this, you know, is a little bit of a spoiler because it op- it opens the book, but and it's in the title, I guess. But the double rainbow video for me has remained for years this like video that I really love as my it's like my favorite YouTube video because not it, it is very funny and I, I I love that about it. But Bear is this character who, you know, I, I was even just speaking with him. I asked him if he would make a video for me because I sent him a copy of the book and he sent me this video and it's like him just reading the preface and he's such a like sort of unusual and compelling personality in a way that it was 
Like, did he build a subscriber base? Yeah, his, it, but he, he produces so much. I mean, he's like every day making things, and he's got an audience of of like I think I, I forget how big his audience. It's not it's not an enormous massive thing, but he has people that really care about what he does and that that he makes. And he's kind of you know makes lots of different stuff. But that video is like kind of the epitome of one person has something they really care about. They put it online, millions of people see it, and it'll it like is pervaded our our cultural consciousness to the point that like. There are millions of people you can walk up to on the street and be like, "Have you seen that double rainbow video?" And they'll start laughing. Like that's a that's a very rare thing to have happen, you know. But you know, also it it makes me think again of the generations of YouTube thing, where I don't think there's, I think YouTube videos now go viral in niches, yeah, you know, niches or however you say it, um, as opposed to like, oh, everybody saw the the double rainbow video, or everybody saw Lazy Sunday in two thousand six, or everybody saw. I don't know whatever whatever it was later on, but now yeah. it's more like I see plenty of videos out there with twenty to fifty million views that I just never heard of and no one ever talks about. But previously, yeah. that would have been like the most talked about thing ever. Totally, and I mean, I mean, now you know we're talking about shows and formats and and like these and sort of channels that have like a rate, a concept. It's it maybe more likely that you're like, oh, you know, Casey Neistat's vlogs, which you just mentioned. Like that's a yeah. thing like you can go up around and any and everybody knows who he is now and like, you know, what his stuff is about. And um, you know, I think that's like a that's a that that's kind of the modern version of that, I guess, you know. But yeah, I mean you still have videos that go viral that are that are really popular, but it, it, it's the saturation is not quite the same, I would say. But but I think I think all of this is ultimately good news in that mm -hmm. media has become so granular that on the downside, yes, we won't have a Seinfeld finale that has 60 million viewers, you know, tuned in at nine o'clock on Thursday to watch it. But you have opportunities for for many, many more people to build audiences where they can relay a message and maybe even make a living. Mm -hmm. And there's so many more opportunities to do that across all these platforms, particularly YouTube, which is this totally open, amazing platform. So I think that's the the final point of this is that it's not like oh you need this one viral video but like here this this could happen and you could start to do it semi consistently across a channel to a specific audience and that's enough to create a living or mm -hmm. or to convey a message or to create your own media outlet as mm -hmm. opposed to working for a newspaper or yeah. a, a book publishing company or whatever mm -hmm. and i think well i think it also i think it's it's a it impacts us as people who watch these things. We have this choice to connect with things, people who are, are are who speak to something that we really care about, or we're introduced to things that we wouldn't necessarily have expected. You know, this it it's, has positives and negatives, but I, I do think it, it it opens up this this sort of entirely new type of of model for things to be created and to be distributed that um, affects you know. Art, entertainment, how right. we communicate, the communities that we exist within, and, and the ways that we react to things. Because no one, we, I can, I can make my own video. I can make my own show. I don't have to wait mm -hmm. for NBC to bless me, yeah. or even now Justin Bieber to say, "Oh, this is good." Yeah. I can just do it and be clever about how I stay. You know, all your yeah. consistency, passion. You know, study the analytics community mm -hmm. and so on, um, and and create my own channel. Yeah, uh, my own NBC. That's right. So, so Kevin Oaka, uh, videocracy, a topic that is not only fascinating to me, but I'm sure to billions of people because billions <laughs> of people watch viral videos. Uh, it's just been such a fun topic for me over the years, but I'm glad to, I got to read your book and, and 
really learn about it from from the center of the universe. You're you're <laughs> the one. Again, you're head of culture and trends at YouTube, which I don't even know what that means, but you're the one who studies viral everything at YouTube. So so grateful you came into the studio and and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to check out your blog from 2008. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I actually I look at a lot of uh, viral videos. I never even like shared that blog with anybody. Yeah. So thanks so much. Of course. Bye. If you like this podcast and want to learn about all things peak performance to succeed in life, subscribe to the James Altucher Show on, I can't even say my last name, the James Altucher Show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again. All right, good. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a, a huge fan of the topic. I think that is like, you know, I for more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll, to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.